You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security sees lower-than-expected rates of Russian election system probing, even as Russian information operations continue. Sophos warns of the emergence of the Linux-based Chalubo botnet. Mexico's central bank raises its alert level. Cathay Pacific discloses a breach of passenger information. Privacy-related fines and lawsuits. And notes from the 2018 ICS Cybersecurity Conference. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 25th, 2018, I'm Peter Kilpie, executive editor, sitting in for the still vacationing Dave Bittner. Dave will be back in the studio on Monday. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security is not seeing expected rates of Russian election system probing, but its National Protection and Programs Directorate doesn't necessarily find this reassuring, wondering instead what it might be missing. That information operations have continued is attested to by the recent U.S. indictment of a Russian troll facilitator. DHS is increasing its assistance to election officials overseeing particularly close races. The effect of U.S. Cyber Command's campaign of warning Russian information operators and whatever else Fort Meade may be doing remains to be seen. Some observers see a possible model for retaliation and deterrence in the quiet information campaign the U.S. and NATO allies ran against Serbian leader Slobodan Milosevic in the late 1990s. The campaign worked to push Milosevic's key backers, bankrollers, and business partners away from the dictator. He became increasingly isolated and increasingly vulnerable to the campaign that eventually took down his regime and ended the war in the Balkans. Sophos Labs reports the discovery of a large botnet that exploits poorly secured SSH servers and various equally poorly secured IoT devices. Called Chalubo after its use of the ChaCha stream cipher, the botnet is adapted to run distributed denial-of-service attacks. It's Linux-based, but researchers say Chalubo is using obfuscation techniques usually associated with Windows-based malicious code. It's also borrowed code from both Zor.ddos and Mirai. Observers offer the usual sensible recommendations about securing devices. Familiarity in this case shouldn't breed contempt. Advice to attend to basic hygiene is always worth taking seriously. Mexico's central bank has raised the alert level for the country's financial system after insurer AXA reported sustaining a cyber attack that attempted to compromise cash payment systems. Hong Kong-based Cathay Pacific has sustained a major data breach. 
The airline disclosed yesterday that almost 9.5 million passengers may have been affected. Personal information compromised includes passport numbers, identity numbers, credit card numbers, frequent flyer membership program numbers, customer service comments, and travel history. Cafe Pacific noticed the suspicious activity in March, confirmed the incident by May, but apparently waited until this week to notify affected passengers. The UK's Information Commissioner's Office has assessed the maximum allowable penalty, £500,000, against Facebook for its role in the Cambridge Analytica data scandal. 500000 is not much, perhaps, for a company as big as Facebook, but the fact that it's the maximum penalty allowable under the laws that were then current should give companies pause with respect to regulatory risk. Those risks, at least in terms of the penalties regulators and the courts are able to readily impose, are likely to increase. The plaintiff's bar is likely to play a significant role in the development of privacy and security standards of practice. Facebook this week has been served with a lawsuit that alleges the company tracked a user's location even after that user had turned off such tracking. The plaintiff, says the suit, quote, relied on Facebook's promise that if he turned the location history off, Facebook would no longer build a location history logging his private location information, unquote. The plaintiff alleges that Facebook continued to track him without consent. The lawsuit is similar to a class action suit against Google that alleges similar location tracking by Google's apps and services, even after users change their device settings to prevent such tracking. Both suits accuse Facebook and Google with violating California privacy laws. Dave recently talked with Justin Harvey from Accenture on insourcing versus outsourcing threat intelligence. We'll hear that interview after the break. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, it's great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch today on threat intelligence. And specifically, what's your guidance for companies to know when they should outsource threat intelligence or keep it inside? Well, it's not always about uh, threat feeds. I think that uh, that a lot of organizations feel that if they get their threat feeds and they can install them, that that's enough. So that leads us to the conclusion that more and more companies have started to realize that and they say to themselves, should we insource and collect and curate and analyze the threat intelligence uh, that we have in our own enterprise or should we outsource that to a third-party provider? Hmm. And the answer that I think that many of us have come up with is that there's simply not enough skilled people out there that can not only build and run a threat intelligence organization, but sustain it over time. And I think that one of the big recommendations that we have is actually consider outsourcing that to a third party, because it's all about perspective, Dave. It's all about threat intelligence organizations are only really as good as their aperture. How much data are they sourcing? Do they have access to a wide swath of NetFlow and DNS data and strategic threat intelligence and and, and and actually monitoring and having the capability to access the dark web? And And what we have found is that the more that companies outsource their threat intelligence to a trusted party, the higher value and, and actionable threat intelligence they can get from those four organizations. Now, are the two things necessarily completely mutually exclusive? Is it possible to dial in a little of both, both have an in-house group, but then rely on outsourcing for some of it as well? Sure, absolutely. Uh, sometimes you don't need a full-fledged threat intelligence team with like 15, 20 guys and gals doing that intelligence. Sometimes you can get away with one or two people that are acting as intermediaries and medium level analysts, and then they can take what they're observing within the enterprise and work with a trusted third party. Also, um, there are higher levels of risk associated with some forms of threat intelligence. Let's take the dark web, Hmm. uh, for instance. Uh, There is quite a bit of risk that can be incurred by creating personas, by uh, infiltrating some of the uh, dark web trading sites and uh, commerce sites for trading PHI, PII, and cardholder data. And our advice is leave that up to to the companies that specialize in that, that have the ability to invest to create these personas and to do the fake uh, trading and transactions in order to uh, to get access to that data and make it actionable. Hmm. All right, Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Wednesday's sessions of the 2018 ICS Security Conference continued examination of risk management and the importance of security operators engaging the realities on the plant floor. In a presentation on consequence-driven risk management, LEO Cybersecurity's Clint Bonduggan stated a first principle. We do cybersecurity because cyber threats pose a risk to the business. He argued that cyber risks should not be viewed as process hazards. Identifying consequences helps determine safety controls and define the possible impact of events. He also offered a skeptical take on the familiar risk equation, which depends on speculative numbers and lends a specious appearance of rigor to what is in fact a questionable and subjective process. Two security leaders from Sony, Kristen Demaranville and Stuart King, described the realities of assessing security in factories. 
A security assessment is neither a tour nor a policy enforcement drill. Their argument was security comes down to people and processes, which is neither surprising nor controversial, but the lessons they drew were instructive. It is essential to recognize, they said, that, quote, anything will break production, unquote. That is, surprising events that you, the security officer, would not expect to be a problem, in fact, can disrupt industrial processes. It's important to discover the factory and understand how it works, and it's important to establish trust with the people that work there. Hanging out on the line and in break rooms will give you a realistic appreciation for the facility's risk. Demoranville and King said, you will find that not everything that looks like a risk is in fact a risk, and many things that look benign actually do pose a risk. A factory is, they said, best understood as a family. People tend to work there for years. They know one another well, and they don't know the outsiders who come through and assess their work family's cybersecurity. It's important to gain and merit their trust. We heard Tuesday from Dragos on the Triton Trisis malware deployed against the Saudi petrochemical facility. Yesterday, Nozomi's co-founder, Dr. Andrea Carcano, spoke about their own investigation of the malware, including the reverse engineering of the probable attack methods. His conclusion was that the exploitation of industrial control systems is no longer for the elite. Increased connectivity, readily available exploitation tools and malware samples, and easily accessible ICS documentation and equipment combined to lower barriers to entry. The 2018 ICS Cybersecurity Conference concludes today. We'll have more coverage tomorrow. Barracuda Networks this morning released findings from its recently concluded global research into software-defined wide-area networks. The report, Security, Connectivity, and Control, the Challenges and Opportunities of SD-WAN, describes the responses of IT and security professionals to questions about SD-WAN deployments. Their concerns are unsurprising. They want cost savings, simplicity, and not the least, security. Tony Pepper is CEO and co-founder of Egress Software Technologies, a provider of privacy and risk management software designed to manage and protect unstructured data. Dave spoke with him earlier about the growing variety and volume of unstructured data and why it can be challenging for many organizations to protect it. When we talk about unstructured data, we mean any type of content that really isn't stored in a more traditional structured sense, so in back-end databases. Um, So we are talking about um, email content, whether that's message content or attachments, but also any type of uh, files or documents, and they can include audio files and video files as well. And so what are the challenges when it comes to securing that data? Well, I think one of the challenges is really twofold, really. I think the first challenge is what is sensitive and and what is not sensitive. And I think end users have a a real difficulty in sometimes being educated on when to protect that. Um, You know, and again, there are there are programs like data classification to help. And they go certainly some way to to doing that. But I still think end users in the enterprise are really just unclear as to what is sensitive and what is not sensitive. So I think that's the first point. I think the next point is because unstructured data now is is being created in, in, in different new forms. So whereas traditionally unstructured data was typically documents and PowerPoints and PDFs and stuff like that and images, actually now sort of unstructured data in the, in the modern business is often audio files and and very large video files that not only is there more volume but also the the individual files they're just getting bigger and so what are your recommendations how can people uh, go about uh, approaching this problem well i think the, the the first thing to say is that 
you know, the traditional way of solving any kind of data security is to put it the boundary, is to kind of almost take it away from end users because apparently end users can't figure it out. I think end users can figure it out. I just think the reality is that the, the, the solutions on the market are just either too difficult to use or ultimately aren't sophisticated enough to be able to aid end users. So what, what they've done to approach that is actually take it away. And, and, and lots of technology on the market is, it, you know, carries out rule-based regular expression policy control at the edge of the network, but actually that is not a way to to, to tackle this long-term. The, the only way to tackle this long-term is to deliver capability to end users that they really engage with, but also really helps them. That actually says, well, using... Uh, machine learning and certainly in our case we can actually you know with a very very high degree of probability suggest what type of data this is and also either auto recommend or actually auto or auto deliver a, a, an appropriate level of protection but done in a way that users are really part of that process um, so that's the first thing I think you've got to you know you've got to deliver tools around end users that makes them more productive helps them in their day-to-day job and automates a lot of that real confusion I think you know that that's certainly that's certainly the, the the first piece. I think the second piece. I think I, touched, I just touched on modern using modern technology. Now I, I think we're moving away from more traditional regular expression based DLP capability to more much more intelligent ways to not only understanding what's sensitive and what's not sensitive. But let's actually let's do let's go that little bit further. Let's also use machine learning to actually say, well, long before we're going to figure out if it needs an appropriate level of protection, let's make sure that the information we're sharing is going to the right recipients. Because actually, if you look at the breaches in information security across the United States and across and worldwide, actually, that is the largest segment of, of breaches of security, whereby end users in business, not maliciously, but accidentally are, are communicating with the wrong recipients. They're just accidentally sharing with people they didn't realize. Maybe the Outlook's auto-filled out uh, a recipient, typically with the f- same name of the the person, uh, the first name of the person they're trying to communicate with, and then it also completes and then it's gone and then it's too late. So I think we, we look at this in a much broader sense and kind of say, well, the first thing we need to do is communicate with the right people. And the next thing we need to do is make sure that we apply the right level of security and control. And the only way you can do that is using machine learning. That's Tony Pepper from Egress Software Technologies. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.